Recently, a columnist named Phil Luciano wrote a column in the uh, journal Star on the question of whether our country should welcome refugees from Syria to our country. And I want to tell you to begin with that I'm not actually a big fan of Phil Luciano and I usually don't read his column. Probably I'm missing a lot, I don't know. But on this subject I thought he really said some thoughtful things. He pointed out and of course he's speaking about a topic about which there's a lot of feeling in this country and a lot of feelings in many different directions. So I don't assume that everybody looks at it the same way. So in his column he pointed out that actually uh, state governors do not have the authority to keep refuge out of their states. I think 31 governors have said they wouldn't allow any in their states. But his main subject was about hate and his concern that once we start categorizing groups of people as bad or dangerous or terrorists, then this can easily get out of hand and that we human beings have a tendency toward that. We have a tendency to go overboard with categorizing certain groups of people and that we've done that many times in our past. And so he was cautioning us not to go down that path. So that was his article. And then soon he got letters back from his article. And I'm going to read a couple of the letters and the responses. You'll get a feeling of where we are in our society about this. So here's the first letter. I knew you was a little on the dumb side. <laughs> but wow, I never realized how stupid you are. I do not want these freaking people in the USA. Yes, they are nice to you until you turn your back. Then watch out. It's only a matter of time when one of these so-called refugees is going to get a dirty bomb from Iran and use it. Here's Phil's response. I can't imagine why anyone would have anything but love for you. <laughs> this guy's a you-you, right? I'm going to invite him over. You seem like an easygoing fellow. <laughs> Meanwhile, that old it's only a matter of time blather is passive aggressive and steeped in fear. In time, of course, bad things happen of all kinds. Then again, so do good things. I'll focus on the latter. You can take the hate, I'll take the hope. All right, here's another letter. I didn't know if there could be any humor regarding refugees. All right, here's a second letter. I think you are the most stupid idiot I've ever known. Why should we take these men from Syria, then come, then come over here and take our jobs and our soldiers go over there and fight their war? Why should we fight for them when them yellow-bellied guys come over here and do what they do? Apparently this gentleman did not leave his name, man or woman, and so Phil's response is, it's nice to hear from a brave person like you who doesn't leave his name. <laughs> 
Regardless, I didn't know Syrians were coming to steal our jobs. If you're that bad at your job that you can be replaced by a bedraggled vagabond from across the globe, you might want to work on your job skills. <laughs> All right, one more. Here's the letter. For liberals that can't grasp difficult issues, here's the Syrian refugee situation explained. There's a bowl that contains a thousand M&Ms. You've heard this guy. Only 10 contain poison that can kill you. How many M&Ms will you eat? Phil's response. First, let us ignore the illogical assumption that there is an inherent poison among refugees, a great number of which are kids. Beyond that, this simplistic construction suggests that any risk, a tiny one, means we need to run and take cover. I'm all for prudence, yet according to the Washington Post, the chances of being an American killed in a terrorist attack is about 1 in 20 million. That's slightly worse than dying from a bee or wasp sting, which is 25 million to 1, yet far safer than dying while walking which is 54,000 to one. To be safe, should we ban bees and outlaw walking? No, because that's silly, just as silly as comparing human beings to pieces of candy. So these letters illustrate the depth of division in our society right now about whether or not to let 10,000 serious refugees into our country after they would go through a vetting process that could last up to two years before they could get in. The Congress voted by a wide margin to not let these 10,000 refugees in until some new process, other than the one that already exists, could be devised to screen them. Although, after they voted, none of those opposed who were interviewed could identify any part of the current process that they thought was lacking. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the government of Canada, and I must admit that I am somewhat biased towards Canada. I used to live in Canada for a while, so if I have bias, then it's not the worst thing I get to be biased about. Meanwhile, the government of Canada recently announced that it would resettle 10,000 serious Syrian refugees by New Year's Day and resettle 15,000 more by the end of February. Refugee Minister John McCallum said, we will welcome them with a smile. The Canadians apparently also have not heeded the warning by one of the presidential candidates that said, we should not bring in Syrian refugees because our weather is too cold. <laughs> I just want to say, wait till those poor refugees get to Canada. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. Of course, one might argue that Canada is not in as much danger of a terrorist attack because ISIS and other Organizations don't hate Canada as much as they do us. To which I can only say, maybe 
there are lessons to be learned about why they don't hate Canada. Something we ought to consider. But if our country is politically divided on this issue, and by the way, I understand that, that rational people can disagree about how to do this. I really do. But what really inspired me to say something this morning is that when this decision was made not to let them in, at least not under the current system, until some new system can be devised, which sounds strangely like never, what really inspired me is that right after that moment, for the most part, religious leaders in the United States were united in saying that we should let refugees into the country. And I think this is truly a remarkable occurrence. On November 22nd, three days before Thanksgiving, the Associated Press reported that in a rare agreement across faith lines, the leaders of major American religious groups condemned the ban on Syrian refugees and warned against falling into irrational fear and prejudice across many boundaries. And of course it included all the regular liberal groups, but it included also many of the conservative groups as well, which is what really got my attention. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a very conservative and large and influential group, it's the tradition I was brought up in, said evangelicals should be the ones calling the rest of the world to remember human dignity and the image of God. Especially for those fleeing, and he puts this in harsh language, murderous Islamic radical jihadis. But he really makes the difference between terrorists and citizens fleeing war. That's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. A wide spectrum of Jewish leaders from reform to conservative to orthodox, opposed any rehalt in settlement. And the chairman of the Catholic bishops issued a declaration saying that he was disturbed by calls from both federal and state officials for an end to resettlement of the Syrian refugees in the United States. He further said, we should not put blame, we should not blame them for the actions of a terrorist organization and continued as a great nation, the United States must show leadership and bring nations together to protect those in danger. The US Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a similar statement. The Pope, as you may know already, has been strongly in favor of settling refugees for months, urging European nations to take in this enormous flood of people that's trying to escape from war. There are undoubtedly still different views within the religious world, and it may be that on the evangelical side, this has fragmented a little more, as I'm sure there's a lot of pressures in that world to take positions in different ways. But this is a remarkable degree of unanimity among religious leaders. It really caught my attention. It reminds us that even though 
Religions have behaved badly in many situations and continue to do so even today. At the core of most religious traditions, there is a commitment to compassion, to helping people who are in need, who are wounded or sick or hungry or homeless. Virtually every religious tradition says we should do that. We can't abandon people in dire need. People fleeing the ravages of war are a prime example of people in need that we cannot in good conscience ignore. At least I will say that's our Unitarian Universalist tradition as well. And I'll speak for that tradition. And if anyone wants to take a contrary view, that's fine. The horror of war in Syria has produced an enormous humanitarian crisis of refugees pouring out of the war zone by the hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Germany has committed to take a million, and they've taken something like 750,000 already. Sweden says it will take 20,000, and Sweden is a small country. And Canada says it will take 25,000 by the end of February. Surely, our wealthy and often generous land can take 10,000 people fleeing a horrible war where every additional day means that you might die or your family might die. Every day you get up could be it. Surely, we could do that deed for humanity. As our president said, their kids are just like our kids. Because they are Muslims and the terrorists are also Muslims, we really get tangled up in how we feel about that situation as a culture. It's really difficult for us. It's difficult to make that separation that amazingly the president of the Southern Baptist Convention could make. He saw what the difference was and he could say that. I, my hat's off to him. I don't say that that often about the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever said it. In the ancient story of the Good Samaritan, one of the world's great storytellers tells us the story of a man who gets robbed on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We might say he's been attacked by terrorists. Now, one good question is, why is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho a dangerous road? You know, that's, that's a good question to consider for a moment, but the story doesn't go into that question. But the story tells us that some very respectable, honored citizen, citizens pass him by, a distinguished religious leader and a leader of the temple, as Amy said, but they either don't have enough time or the inner motivation to help the man in need. But then a Samaritan comes along. Now, when we read an old story like this from an ancient text, we always have to ask ourselves, what is the context of this story? We have a tendency to read these stories like they're taking place in 2015, but they took place 2,000 or 2,500 or maybe 3,000 years ago. What was going on at that time? The Samaritans were a hated group by the Jews. They were the no-good group. 
You know, in human history, there's often a group that's no good in the eyes of some other group. So the Samaritans were no good. To, to utter the words, good Samaritan, in this culture is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan. That doesn't exist in the worldview. All of them are no good. They're Samaritans. Doesn't everybody know that, that they're no good? So part of what's going on in this story is that the storyteller is putting us into an uncomfortable position where the bad guy turns out to be a good guy. And this is very tough to take, and this is why this is one of the most famous stories in the world, because it's a boundary-breaking story. It says even the person you might think is no good could be the good person. And the person you think is wonderful might not be the good person. So that's a big piece of what that story is about. We get a surprise ending. This despised person comes to the aid of the person in need. This person who belongs to a group that is condemned as being dangerous and worthless turns out to be compassionate and generous. Right now, I am worried that our country, especially our politicians, are playing the role of the supposedly respectable, distinguished leaders who do not have the good hearts to come to the aid of people who have been beat up and are left by the side of the road. Hundreds and th of thousands of them. They've been beat up. So they're waiting to see who's going to help. We might say, well, they're too dangerous, or they need more screening, or they will probably stab us in the back. We can't take the risk to rescue them from their misery. So that puts us in the role of the ones who pass by. That's all. If we want to take that role, we could take that role. We have very good reasons. We have excellent reasons. Not only that, I have a committee meeting at 4 o'clock. And I've got to be there. We cannot say that human beings can be categorized and accepted or rejected by what group they belong. That's, that, that's a fundamental premise of our gathering together is that we can't categorize people and say, well, all the Jews are no good, or all the Native Americans are no good, or all the gay people are no good. It doesn't really matter which group it is. We have committed ourselves not to think that way. That's part of our tradition that we're not going to think that way. We're going to regard everyone as having worth and dignity, and we're going to look into their hearts and see their deeds. And that will tell us who they are. So if we're going to live lives of compassion and inclusive love, we need to extend our hearts outward to all beings. That's what Thich Nhat Hanh says in the meditation. We need to extend our hearts out to all beings. And why should we live such a life? We know some of them won't treat us very well. We do it because it relieves suffering. And because ultimately it heals our own suffering as well. 
this act of extending ourselves to other people, heals us too. That's, that's a surprise ending too. It does something good for us. The road of suspicion, of hate speech, of projecting all the evil in the world onto a particular group is a road of continuous strife and ultimately war. That's the road that eventually leads to war. The road of compassion does not guarantee quick success, unfortunately. It does not guarantee that. But it is the path that leads to the best chance we have for peace, both inner and outer peace. And that is the reason, I think, that virtually all the religions, despite their glaring inconsistencies and failures, all proclaim that compassion is at the root of what they're talking about. They all make that claim whether they do it or not. And it's equally true that our non-religious atheist and humanist traditions say the same thing, really affirming that all people have inherent rights. And that chief among those rights is the right to live. The right to live without being beat up or killed on the road or bombed. So really all the human value traditions affirm this need to protect others. Martin Luther King says injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. So we have to decide, I think, over and over again, if we are the people who extend the hand of help to those in need, or if we are the people who don't. Are we going to be the innkeeper who says there is no room? That's a great thing to do during this season, isn't it? Sorry, no room at the inn. Are we going to be the dignified officials who walk by? Or are we going to be the one that stops and heals the wound and gives the person something to eat and takes them to a place to stay where they'll be safe? The people of France gave us a gift once. It's a tall statue that stands in New York Harbor. I bet a lot of you have seen it. Maybe you've been up in the top of the statue. It says these words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. If we believe that these words are really the truth about America, then now is the time to make this promise come true.